Hi, this is Liz Ryan, and this is the Work-Related Podcast, Episode 12. We got a couple of topics that have emerged this week, and one of them is the topic of walking off the job. I put a post out on Twitter, have you ever walked off a job and got some incredible stories back? And it seems like the themes, the reasons that people just quit a job on the spot, no notice, no, maybe not even any forethought. They just said, this is the last minute I can work here. Um, a couple of the themes were new supervisor, of course, right? Not surprising. New supervisor, I said, no, can't work with this person. Or just being asked to do something outrageous. And that's pretty much happened to most all of us, hasn't it? Being asked to do something outrageous. But for whatever reason, at that moment, for that person... The answer was, no, I'm not going to do that. I got to leave. And it takes guts to quit a job like that when you weren't planning to, because what are you going to do, right? How are you going to get the rent money and how are you going to, what are you going to do going forward? The thing about a job, the thing about these jobs is that you get the job and you feel like, okay, well, at least now I know how I'm going to pay my bills and it's a, it's a launch pad for something else and I can, you know, kind of get a breather and do this job and think about the rest of my life. But when you walk off the job, you weren't expecting to, that's very intense. You, you know, you have to walk through some kind of curtain or membrane of, wow, this is a real thing. I'm not going to work here anymore. And it can be really scary. And of course, there's situations where people would love to do it and they know they can't do it and they have to go to plan B and not quit the job. But a lot of people have stories about walking off a job that just went too far, just didn't work for them anymore. I've had a few of those when I was really young. Um, the most intense one was when I wasn't even getting paid. I was a volunteer. I did the EST training when I was 18. EST, Earhart Seminars training, was a big thing, sweeping the nation at the time. It's kind of like the first human potential human development thing that I only knew about because of these people that I babysat for, of course, and they were into it. And the lady said, oh, you should come with me to this meeting. And then I was, you know, enrolling in this thing. And they sign you up at the end of this two weekend immersion thing. You, you, you stay up all night. You can't eat. You can't sleep. You can't go to the bathroom. You can't leave the room. 350 people in a ballroom. This would never be legal today. But that's what it was. And the, and at the end of it, on Monday morning, blinking into the sunlight after being up all weekend, not eating, not sleeping, not peeing, they make you sign up to volunteer at their office for three months. So I signed the thing. And I go and volunteer at their office. And they actually taught me how to answer the phone in a, you know, a business phone type of thing back when front desk reception used to be a thing. EST, this is Liz. How may I assist you? And um, wasn't horrible. It was kind of interesting, the people and stuff. I figured, well, it's office experience. But um, one day they were screaming at me and the other young woman on the front desk because of enrollments. You have to create, you two have to create enrollments. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm a big believer in energy and all that, but you're not going to scream at me because we're not bringing in enough sales by answer by answering the phones. You're not going to do that. And so they finished screaming at us. 
and said, you have to commit to 25 enrollments, you know, in the next 25 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, what? No, I'm not doing that. And it wasn't, you know, a, a failure of sort of like creativity. It was like, you're literally screaming at me, but you're saying you're preaching this gospel of like, you know, we can do anything we want with our minds, but you're resorting to the regular old screamy type management that I've experienced so much of at, at this young age. No. And um, so I told my supervisor, again, I'm a volunteer. I said, yeah, the lady, the head of the office screamed at me and that I don't need that. That's not, I, I'm, I'm out. If I make it to the end of my shift, that's the last time you'll see me. And she said, oh, you know, she was overwrought. I'm sure she'll apologize. I said, yeah, well, I don't know. She just left here. She's literally screaming at us for not creating, uh, creating enrollments. And we're answering the phones furiously, by the way. Phones didn't stop ringing, but not enough enrollments. I don't know enough about sales, but it sounds like a closing issue, not a person answering the phone issue. So nobody's hanging up on me, right? So um, she said... You know, 24 hours, you know, you'll feel so much better. Come back to work tomorrow. I'll come back to volunteer tomorrow and it'll be a different energy. And I said, mm, nah, I think I'm, I think I'm going to leave right now. Actually, this is, you know, sometimes your gut speaks up and I left. And so that would be the end of the story, except a month later, she called me a couple times. It was before, um, answering machines. I assume she called. I didn't pick up. The phone just rang. But then one day I'm in my apartment and there's a knock on the door, not a buzzer, not someone pushing on the buzzer down at the street, the door inside the building. And I opened the door. I didn't have a peephole and I opened the door and it's her, the supervisor from, from a month ago when I left this volunteering thing at Est, the Est office. And she said, you know, I just wanted to come and see you because it's just so terrible that you walked off this assignment. You know, that's going to really dog you throughout your life. <laughs> and this is what's next for you. And I said, you got into my building by artifice, by conning somebody. You're gross. Get away from me. I never want to see you again. Get out of here. It was the spookiest, stalkery-ish, stalkerishy thing ever. So that was my, that was a little, that was a good thing that happened when I was 18 because it reminded me, like, you don't have to just put up with any literal thing. You'll put up with a lot, but not anything. Not getting paid and getting screamed at and somebody forcing their way into your apartment. Okay, fine. But um, also really, I think it helped me understand groupthink a little bit and cult-like behavior. But um, lots and lots of people have walked off the job. There could be a situation where it's not safe and you have to leave. I don't ever want you to judge yourself if you feel like leaving. And I don't want you to judge yourself if you feel like leaving and you realize that you can't leave. I mean, we are judged 24-7 and I don't want you to judge yourself for either of those scenarios. But only to know, you know, to keep pretty close tabs on your body and how are you feeling. Because what a lot of people say is, I left, I walked off the job and realized I put up with way too much and I was kind of a little bit um, compartmentalizing it and not noticing it because it would have meant I had to job search, I had to do some work, I didn't want to 
deal with that in my schedule and just mentally and all the pressure. And so I just kind of pretended maybe it'll be okay. Maybe it'll be okay. And then it wasn't. When I was doing a lot of career coaching, the most common scenario in the world would be that I would, uh, someone would want to do career coaching and say, I want to look at possibilities. I'm thinking about leaving. And we would do all that, do the exploration, really blue sky, awesome brainstorming and research and reflection. And I'd say, so how, how cool is your job or how stable is it? Eh, I want to do something else for sure, but the job itself, incredibly stable and it's fine. It's good. It's just boring or it's whatever. And then one day they would say, no, I left. You left? Yeah, I didn't even give notice. You didn't give notice after seven years? Nope. Didn't give notice. Untenable. Uh, wasn't, you know, planning to do that, but I did. I just, I just left the job. Okay. Or I gave notice, you know, a month and then we had words and I ended up leaving right then and there is also common. So it's not just something that 18 and 19 year olds experience. Let's face it. Work is emotional. It's very, 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 very uh, emotional. And the way that we're treated at work and our relationships at work and the way we think about our work and how our work is acknowledged or not acknowledged. It's very, very deep stuff that happens and we give it short shrift. We don't talk about this piece enough. That's why I started the company, Human Workplace, and the, and the conversation to talk about the human side of work because it affects everything. It affects your health, mental, emotional, and your physical health and your relationships. It affects communities. I'm glad to see people talking so much more freely now about the good and bad stuff at work, what's possible and also what's broken. Just watch the, um, the World Baseball Classic. It's a world baseball competition where different countries put up baseball teams, you know, team, uh, Mexico, team, Puerto Rico, team USA. And they, they do a regular tournament style competition until they get to the big final. And it was incredible to watch. I've never seen it before. Uh, but my son's been talking up the WBC for years and saying, you really should watch it. It's great. And I did. And it was just incredible how the athletes, the players are so into it. And they say to the media, this is so much fun. This is the way that I want to play baseball. It says a lot because they, they are, they're all employed by a major league baseball team and paid gazillions of dollars to play, but it's a job still. They want to win. Of course, it's good for their, it's good for their resume. It's good for them. It's good for their teammates. It's really good, but it's still for a company that owns their time and their energy here. They're playing with their they're guys maybe that they grew up with and for their country. And you can see the difference. It's profound, this difference. It's not small. Shohei Otani, who's a legend in any way, uh, first guy to like pitch and hit in Major League Baseball very, very well, very, very expertly since Babe Ruth. He's already, I think, played more seasons doing both pitching and hitting than, than Babe Ruth did. But He's incredible and has been uh, for several years, but I thought he was a stoic, somber guy. I thought he was a dispassionate guy sitting in the dugout. You're looking at him. There's no expression on his face whatsoever except alertness. But in this, with Team Japan, with his with his guys, he was like a kid. He was so hyping and jumping and 
and warm and incredible like a different person. And it made me feel so much compassion for these players. And there's a storm brewing because a, a, a pitcher for the New York Mets was badly injured in the celebration, post-game celebration after one of these World Baseball Classic games and is going to be out for the season, can't play for the Mets this whole year. And so there's some rumbling that Major League Baseball, the owners are going to say that their players can't do this World Baseball Classic anymore. It's not a official part of the baseball season. It's just a fun set of like exhibition games and players are saying, no, 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 this, I have to do this. This is a different way to play. This is my art. This is my, my community. This is my, it's very, very important to me. And you see that tension between what you're paid to do and what your heart wants to do. All right. I put a uh, survey, a poll on LinkedIn this morning and it's the poll is, here's what I said. Performance reviews are outdated. You can share feedback at any time. There are better ways to determine pay increases, agree or disagree. So I'm asking the poll respondents whether they agree or disagree with this idea that performance reviews have outlived their usefulness. And the responses after, let's see, 12 hours, um, uh, let's see, 11,429 votes and the crowd says, yeah, I agree. 88% of respondents agreed with that, those couple of statements about performance reviews being outdated because you can share feedback at any time and there are better ways to figure out how much to pay someone. 88% of people agreed. And what's fascinating to me about these conversations about performance reviews, performance reviews, whatever, right? They've been around forever. Nobody likes them. Managers don't like them. I don't know anybody who likes performance reviews below the executive suite. Uh, once in a while, a middle manager will say, I really like to have that opportunity to sit down and think about this employee's performance. Um, but most people hate performance reviews. And I'm not a fan of performance reviews. My big regret as an HR leader is that I didn't put the kibosh on performance reviews while I was doing that kind of work. Whereas ironically, when I started being an HR person, our company didn't do performance reviews because we were too small. We didn't have that system. And I listened to managers coming in from outside the company who said, you really need to do performance reviews. And I was like, okay, I guess that's what you do. And it was what people did, but should never have started. Um, notwithstanding the fact that 88% of our, of our pretty significant number of poll respondents said, get rid of performance reviews, people still vigorously defend performance reviews by saying everybody needs feedback. That's what they say. Every employee needs feedback. They do. They need it. What is need? Let's back all the way up and say, what does the word need mean? Need. Are they asking for it? They're not asking for it. They're saying they don't want to do it. No, they need it though. Okay. So that's a different kind of need, I guess, than the need that we're all familiar with. I know I need water. I need food. I need clothing to wear. This is different. You're saying they need feedback, but they're saying they don't, they don't want it. No, they need it. They don't know they need it, but they just need it. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You as the manager know what they need. So this is now fear-based, right? That's the definition. They're going to get it. They're going to eat their vegetables, whether they like it or not, because they need it. And they, 
It makes them better. And this is an, certainly a popular point of view, but it goes directly against what we always say, our employees are everything. Our employees make our con company great. Our employees, you know, our employees are, are the whole thing, our greatest asset. Oh my gosh, our employees. But no, at the end of the day, if the prevailing view among managers is, but they need this feedback, they have to hear it whether they want to or not, then you don't even respect them as adults. So you have to pick which side of the fence to stand on. You can't, you can't stand on both. And we have to be honest about that. I've worked with vendors for years and we never did a performance review. Why don't they review my performance as a customer then? And we can just be honest. You know why? They didn't need to review me as a customer and I didn't need to review them as a vendor because we just talk about stuff all the time. There's no point where it naturally makes sense in this organic flow of a relationship to say, now I'm going to tell you how you're doing in my eyes. Then just tell me whenever it occurs to you. Why do you have to write it down? And specifically, why do we have to grade people? You're good. You're not that good. You're really good. Nobody trusts the integrity, the veracity, the accuracy, right, of performance reviews. And if they worked, then you would go back and look at last year's goals, last year's things that I told you to change, which could be 100% subjective, right? You might have a completely different manager with completely different requirements for you. But above all, what's really toxic about performance reviews is the idea that one human being gets to stand in judgment on another. That's not a system found in nature. That's a hierarchical system that really doesn't benefit anyone. You can figure out how much to pay people by looking at salary surveys. And you can talk about plans and strategies and what do we learn this year and what do you want to do next year and how do we figure this out? And you can have great conversations once a year, twice a year, four times a year, or every Friday. But none of it ever requires that you should tell somebody how they're doing. They know. If they're talking with you, they know. And people don't boil down a year's worth of work to a B grade or a C grade or an A plus. That's insulting. We're not children. I'm not a fan of grades for children, by the way, in school either. There's no benefit to that. It's just another instrument of fear and control. All right. If you have a question for me uh, for the podcast to, to, to answer in the podcast, send it to me, please, at support at humanworkplace.com. I love to answer your questions. And um, thank you for following me and the Human Workplace Movement to Reinvent Work for People. And thanks for spreading the word about us and the podcast. It's really, really great always to hear from you and your friends and talk with folks about their career situation or leadership or entrepreneurism and whatever they're dealing with because it's complicated, right? It's complicated out there. But I'm really glad to be uh, in this conversation with you.